Welcome everyone to the Wizards and Wisdom podcast. This is episode four. My name is Bud. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm here with your other host, Joe. Yeah. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's getting really cold outside. It sure <laughs> is. Well, Wizards and Wisdom is a podcast about wizards and wisdom. And by wizard, we mean not only the fictional wizards and magic users and spellcasters and other people like that, but also real-life people whom we feel would deserve the title wizard. Uh, not in a literal sense of casting magic, but someone whose influence or whose thoughts or whose impact on the world uh, might grant them that honorable title of wizard. And our wizard today is actually the scientist Marie Curie. We'll be talking about her today. But before we get into her, uh, how's, how have things been going with you, Joe? Um... Pretty good. Um, I don't know a whole lot new. Um, still working at an animal shelter. Right. Uh, you know this. We started sparring in our martial arts class, so I'm sore. <laughs> I have some bruises. Right. But, I mean, other than that, just busy day-to-day life. Working yeah. the grind. There you go. Getting by. Well, you know... Um, I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I've been wrestling with some illness. Honestly, I've been wrestling with it on and off for the last couple months. It's just this time of year. It just it gets to me. And when it gets cold, it gets rainy or snowy. Just, I have a hard time kicking it. But I have some good news. So since we opened the martial arts school uh, over a year ago, you know we've been living kind of the bare minimum lifestyle, right? Ashlyn and I. Uh, making sure bills are paid, making sure that we're able to eat, keeping gas in the car, that kind of thing. But um, a lot of things we just haven't really had access to, you know, uh, health insurance, you know, things like that. You know, the the, the luxuries of the luxuries of life, right? Yeah. So recently, I took a job uh, with the credit union here in town, and I just got promoted to a full time position with a significant pay raise. Uh, which will come with health benefits and all that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited about that. Uh, just so you, I can, you could go to a doctor. Go to a doctor. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds great. Um, but yeah, so 60 days, I'll be eligible to enroll in the, in the health insurance, and it's actually pretty decent insurance. So um, so yeah, so all I got to do is survive for 60 more days. Yes, uh, the American okay. dream. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'll be okay. You know, but yeah, that's that's the big news going on with uh, with me. In my life, so why don't we talk about the life of Marie Curie? Well, I think it, my my opening statement has to be that, and I, I said this before we started, that I believe that the 18th and 19th century were for scientists, what the 70s were for serial killers. There were just huge <laughs> scientific advancements made, and I I don't know if it's a cultural thing, like. I know who uh, Marie Curie is, but I feel like she's downplayed and, you know, we can talk about the societal barriers that she had to break up for a woman in her day, right. but I think she's still breaking them today. Like, she needs to be more at the forefront for the things that she's done. Right. Um, she did, I mean, she led a charge for radioactive materials so well that her husband basically quit his day job to help her. Right. Find things. Mm-hmm. And good old the, Pierre. Yeah. Pierre Pierre Curie. Um That's a heck of a name. Yeah. That is 
That is quintessential French. Like I want to, <laughs> I want to make out with him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ooh, Pierre. <laughs> Why do you taste like uh, radium and lead? <laughs> oh, that was weird. Okay, so she was born in Warsaw, Poland. Um, she was the daughter of a school teacher. So you, you kind of think that thinking is kind of in her, in her nature. Um, but she just went crazy with it she was like oh you know i'm just gonna go discover new elements because that just you know that's what we do right like when i want to think about things i'm gonna go oh i'm gonna discover one but i love my homeland so much i'm gonna name it after my homeland right um one thing that i thought was of most interest was and this may have been a talking point that you're gonna and i'm gonna take it from you was that her life she studied radioactivity and everything that it did to the point where during World War One, she was leading x-rays for soldiers because she was like, oh, I have an x-ray machine. Would you like an x-ray? <laughs> I know how to make radiation. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm sure we will discuss about how that ultimately probably led to her death. Right. But that's a little unknown. Right. Um, looking at my notes. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, floundering. Um, she is the receiver of not one, but two Nobel Prizes. Mm-hmm. The second, no, that she was alive for the second one. I don't believe her husband was alive when she received the second one. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was already dead. Yeah, he was. He, he did not see her right. second mm-hmm. uh, Nobel Prize. Yeah, because he was, he was nominated for the Nobel along with another one of their research partners. Yeah. But she was overlooked. And then Pierre's like, you know, hey, you know, what is this? You know? But he fought to get her recognized because she put in just as much work and was a significant, you know, contributor to the discoveries and all the research that they had. That she deserved to have recognition just as much as the guys did. So and then eventually they accepted and she got her Nobel, that first Nobel. All right. So, oh, I closed it. Um... So when I was looking through stuff about how much work they actually put in to refining radium, like they they knew that there was something in a solution with uranium that was causing it to be more radioactive than what they thought was in it. So they were like, how can we get this? Mm-hmm. And it took them four years to extract one tenth of a gram of radium Radium chloride, but it was a solution. Right. One tenth of a gram, a decigram, four years of work Hmm. for what is a small amount, but a huge discovery. It was like, hey, this is a thing. Hmm. And that's kind of, if anyone's wondering, I held up a fake vial with radium chloride in it. Um, Not a real one, because that'd be dangerous. Yeah. Um. Well, you know what what is interesting to me about Marie Curie is that you know of course she's known for studying radioactivity and radioactive radioactive materials, yeah. but she actually coined the term radioactive, mm-hmm. right? And of course, whenever I think of radioactive, I think of Spider Man, right? Mm-hmm. And so last episode we did we dedicated the whole episode to Stan Lee, you know, and so I when I think of Marie Curie, I always think that that she had a hand. And, you know, in some way of, of creating Spider-Man. So, 
Because so he was bitten by a radioactive spider. Now, I don't know. I, I'm not a scientist. I'm an advocate for science. Mm. But I'm not myself a scientist. So I don't know what a radioactive spider biting somebody would do. Not, not in the powers, like, oh, I have powers of spider now. But, like, you know, as you've alluded to, you know, most people believe that the cause of her death was due to her exposure to all this radioactivity. Mm. So if, as the old Spider-Man song says, he has radioactive blood, like... Is Spider-Man gonna die in his forties because of radioactivity? <laughs> you know, like is he just con- is he just like doomed to a yeah. short lifespan because he's got radioactivity in his body? You know, <laughs> or did they not fully understand <laughs> what radioactive meant when they created the character? Yeah, it could be either one. I don't know. I didn't look it up, but it just makes me laugh to think like if Marie Curie did not do her research, mm-hmm. we may have never had Spider-Man. It's true. <laughs> See what. What we don't know is that Spider-Man is actually like like 120 generations down from the spider that was living oh. in, in in her laboratory. Oh, I see. It's, it just it went over on so. a ship, went across the pond. <laughs> so York. just radioactive enough to give yeah. him spider powers, but not enough to kill him in yeah. his 40s. Okay, yeah. I got gotcha. you. All right, it was diluted. I that that works for my head cannon, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um. Another thought that I had when we were researching her was she did for atomic theory what, like, Henry Ford did for cars. Hmm. It was like, oh, yeah, this is radioactive. And the moment, like, she discovered it, she immediately went to medicinal purposes. Like, she didn't she didn't think about weaponizing it. Right. She was like, oh, how can I help this, use this to help people? Right. Um, I, I read a lot that she wouldn't take most of the reward funds from grants or prizes. She paid back whatever grant she got to go to school immediately mm-hmm. when she started making her own way. Right. And I was just like, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Yes, I've heard that before. That <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, it's a very strange thing to read in a in the present world that we live in. Someone's like, you know, I just needed this just enough to get me to the knowledge that I wanted, and he, I'm paying it all forward. Right. It, you don't see that a lot nowadays. Right. Oh. Well, especially, you know, in her situation, you know, being a woman, being a woman in any era of human history has been hard. Right. But she really had to fight for everything that she got for, you know, the Nobel for recognition, for position. You know, one of my favorite parts of Marie Curie's story is that, you know, because she was a woman, she, was, she wasn't able to enroll in a higher institution. Uh, so when they were younger, she and her sister attended the Floating University. Now, the Floating University, sometimes it's called the Flying University. It was uh, from 1885 to 1905 in Warsaw, the historic Polish capital. And it was then under the control of the Russian Empire. And then it was revived between 1977 and 1981 in the People's Republic of Poland. So what was the floating university? Well, the purpose of it and similar institutions was to provide Polish youth with an opportunity for an education within the framework of traditional Polish scholarship uh, when that collided with the ideology of the governing authorities. So the floating university is like this rebel academy, <laughs> right? So like they, you know, Marie couldn't get into this university because she's a woman. They're like no, no, only guys. So she's like she goes to the float. At first, the floating or the flying university 
is like a pretty cool name, yeah. right? But then there's this underground, like, you know, like this underground education, you know, that's like rebelling against the like the you know, the the consent, you know, the um, conventional wisdom yeah, of the society. It basically like now, if a bunch of professors got together and like we're gonna have a college, but you don't have to pay crazy amounts of money to get. Yeah, well, you know, it, 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 and it sparked in me the same kind of feeling as like the first time I watched the like, Dead Poet Society, right? Mm. Like you have the established you know authority system the education system and then you have the people that have this this passion for something else mm. or they aren't getting what they need or what they want from the established educational system yeah you know and i can go on a long rant <laughs> i really could <laughs> about the educational system currently you know yeah. that it's not as much about education as it is about just making people busy, like yeah. kids. Like, what does a what does a kid benefit, or what what benefit does a kid have to do five hours of homework a night? Yeah. You know, they have their their English class, their math class, they've got their whatever class, they've got the language class. You know, all these the science class, they got all these classes, and every teacher in that class acts like they're the only teacher that that kid has, and gives them an hour of homework. Yeah. Right, then they're, they've got like I've got a half hour from Mrs. Johnson. I got an hour of homework from Mr. Taylor. You know, and it adds up. And so now they're spending three to four or five hours a night doing homework. Like they're just yeah. busy, right? Yeah. And all the kids that I teach here at the martial arts school, they all have other activities. They're learning an instrument, or they're doing a sport, or they have some kind of some kind of other activity. You know, they're in. Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts, or they, you know, they volunteer. Or they're helping out. Like one of my students uh, helps out the penguins at the zoo. You know, like, <laughs> like there's, you know, kids are busy because that's kind of what the way they're the way things are set up these days. Yeah. And the, on top of that, to give them all this homework, it just something seems wrong. Yeah. You know, they're not really focusing on how does a student learn. They're just they have this sort of cookie cutter method of educating them. Yeah. And here's. You know, it's less about learning, more about pumping out yeah. workers. And so then, and I remember being, and I'm a good test taker, which doesn't mean that I learned the knowledge, but it means that I'm good at taking tests. I was good at taking, you know, playing the system. No, I feel that. And I could cram for a test, or I could guess well enough on a on a Scantron or a multiple choice, and get A's and B's on my tests. And a week later, hell, even though later that day. I wouldn't really know anything about the material that we just covered on the test. Yeah. So what was the point of it? What did I really learn? How did I grow from that? Other than to test my tenacity to do work? Like that doesn't seem right. Not to not to further this tangent, but I've always felt that and this could just be, you know, what's left of my teenage angst, that school I I think we may have discussed this. You know, so don't go to college. I think. It was oh yeah, two. I'm probably I'm probably repeating myself like the uh, old man that I am. But you know, <laughs> that it's less about educating, more about <laughs> cranking out obedient worker bees. Right. It's like if you don't do the homework, you're going to fail. Right. If you don't do this, you're going to fail. Right. Instead mm -hmm. of focusing on teaching, it's more like. Stay, stay in line, do what you're sure. told, and well, you'll yeah. be fine. There's definitely a sense of conformity in the education system. Yeah. And I think back to 
you know, and this is what it, this is what intrigues me about the floating university, right? So that Marie and her sister can go there, even though they're women, and they can get education, and it's not conforming to the status quo of what is expected yeah. from people of that time in that area, right? And so then I think about Plato's Academy, right? Okay. Famously depicted in Raphael's painting, right? The Academy. And he puts, you know, Raphael painted himself as one of the students in the Academy. And you've got in the center of the Academy, you've got Plato uh, and Aristotle. And Plato is gesturing heavenward and Aristotle is gesturing earthward, representing their respective philosophies, yeah. right? Aristotle being a student of Plato, Plato being a student of Socrates, but they all had their own distinct philosophy of the world, yeah. influenced by, but changed, you know, like influenced by their teacher, but then they kind of modified it and expanded it in their own way, yeah. you know? And you can find a lot of common ground between what Plato taught and what Aristotle taught, even though there's some things that are very much, you know, the antithesis of each other in their teachings. Yeah. You know, Plato looking to these universal forms of reality this is what you know the ultimate reality is and Aristotle just kind of looking at what really exists in earth you yeah. know which led Aristotle to being the father of the sciences as yeah. he's often known and you're referred to um, had a, you know, he was one of the first people to do a taxonomy system of animals and, yeah. and you know our disciplines have Greek names in you know kind of an homage to yeah. Aristotle you know you know, astro astronomy and biology, all you know, all these are even meteorology. And I'm sure I've, I've probably yeah. said this before too. I just like the story, yeah. you know, because Aristotle mistakenly believed that the weather was controlled by meteors. But even now, of course, in Illinois, we might as well be looking at meteors because it's for as well as we can predict the weather yeah. here. Um, but a meteorologist is someone who you know studies the weather, right? Um, but when you look at the way the, the painting is set up. Some people are standing, some people are sitting, some people are lounging, some people are debating. You know, you've got at the center the two, the two most scholarly teachers, the ones that everyone would have looked at, right? Aristotle and Plato. And they're not even agreeing with each other. Not that I think education should be just a bunch of people disagreeing with each other, but the, you know, the iron sharpening iron aspect. You know, yeah. people with different ideas not not doing what we do on Facebook yeah. not like I like Trump I hate Trump and now I hate you well I hate you that's not an exchange of ideas for yeah. the betterment of our knowledge or the progression of our society that's people just getting into their you know trenches on either side of the battlefield and just lobbying you know Facebook comments at each other yeah. and you know mean faces and you know likes and, and loves and all that stuff like that's just you know like that's the battlefield that we're on. Yeah. And regardless of of one's political bent, if I can't if I can't at least listen to a person's comments, not to say I have to agree with them, not to say that I have to like them. I might think they're horrific, <laughs> you know. But if I can't at least take a moment to try to understand why they think that way, yeah. Then I, I'm never going to help them. If I, you know, let's say I think I'm right and they're wrong and I want to help them see, like, look, this is why you shouldn't support this guy or this is why you should support this thing here. Yeah. If I can't understand them because 
I've shut myself down because I see them as this two-dimensional caricature because of what they believe. Then I, I can't I can't get through them because I, I, I can't understand their thought pattern. You know? Yeah, I would I would say that the whole world could would just be better off if instead of everyone believing that they were right or wrong and taking bits and pieces from different mindsets and looking at things from other people's perspective, we could be in a lot better place than we are right now. Hmm. Um, my thought would be like, you know, I generally lean to the left. However, I don't think people shouldn't be able to own guns. Like, hmm. To me, if they're looked at the same way you look at a car, right. you have to pass a test from the government. Hmm. You know, you have to renew it, and every once in a while, you have to get checked again to see if you can keep your driver's license. Right. Then I don't see a problem with it. Right. Well, that brings up a thought while we're writing this tangent. <laughs> um, you know, there are people who say, "Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on the left. I'm a liberal. Yeah. I'm on the right. I'm a conservative." And then you have the spineless people who are like, "I'm in the middle." Right. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I don't. I don't like honor the people who are like I'm all for the left or I'm all for the right you know I think a lot of people who try to take the middle road all the time just don't want to take pick a side they want to you know there's this fallacy that says that well if I always if I'm always a centrist if I'm always in the middle if I don't take one extreme or the other that makes me the more rational one or the more enlightened one yeah when sometimes it just means that you're a coward and you need to like find out what what you really value and where your virtues lie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, going back to my my theology days, you know, it's in the, the book of Revelation when Jesus <laughs> said, you know, good. Right? You go. Jesus says, you know, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. So I'm just going to spit you out because like you ever yeah. drink lukewarm tap water like oh, you know, yeah. like if it was hot I could make tea. If it was cold, put some ice in it, I'm good. But like that lukewarm, that tepid sort of like bleh, like that's that's how that's how a lot of people who are just like well you know I, I can see both sides and I'm in the middle and like grow a spine. See when I when I say we should see both sides, I mean like I think that there are logical things that if you were to look at both sides that I could I could look at the right and I could be like I'm when you just take the words fiscally conservative and like right. you look at like spending money the right way right if like it's just that I'm on board. But our definition of what the right way is of is going to be very yeah. different. Yeah, the devil's in the details, right? Yeah, and and I just said even bef you know before I started slamming spineless centrists, right? <laughs> um, I had said that it's we have to be able to to see the thought process that led somebody to their conclusion or to their belief. Yeah, right. Because not everybody that disagrees with me is going to be naturally like just irrational. Some people are. There are people who have who hold the same views I do. Who got to those views through irrational means, right? Yeah. So, like, I could say, like, you know, I believe that you know, healthcare should be a universal right and everyone should have it. That could be my conclusion, and you might agree with me, but maybe your reasons for that are because you think ducks are cute. <laughs> it's like, well, that doesn't that premise doesn't follow to the conclusion, even though I agree with the conclusion, yeah. right? It's you know, <laughs> just because I agree with your conclusion doesn't mean I agree with your reasoning. Yeah. And just because I disagree with your conclusion doesn't mean I can't allow myself to at least empathize and understand the process, the thought process 
and the, the logical pattern you use to try to get to that conclusion. That's, that's the understanding I want to take, right? But what I'm, what I'm saying is that, yes, sometimes people in the center just lack a spine and should choose, like yeah. take a stand for something, as opposed to trying to be like, you know, Sweden, yeah. you know, um, or Switzerland. Switzerland, Switzerland. yeah. We uh, Sweden's pretty said. peaceful too, right? They're not really fighting anybody, so you know we can be Switzerland. Yeah. But my, but the, at the same time, there are people who just pick a side, like I'm on the left, and so then whatever the the the, you know, whatever the pop culture view of the left's belief or the right's beliefs are, you jump on board with it, right? Yeah. So, and you see it in the news, you see it in the media. Like, whenever something happens, you know how people on the left are going to react, and you know how people on the right are going to react, yeah. right? And, like, take the whole, thi- the whole thing with the, the Native American guy banging yeah. his drum and the kid with the MAGA hat staring at him with a smirk on his face. You know exactly how people on the left are going to react, and you know exactly how people on the right are going to react, yeah. regardless of what, what, what is, right? Yeah. And so when you pick an issue, capital punishment, Marijuana, um, you know, abortion, drug use, like just anything. Pick an issue, right? Yeah. And you you know what the standard liberal response is and what the standard conservative response is. And while I think there's a reason why a lot of those views tie together, why someone who would be, you know, pro-gun control or more gun control would also be pro-choice, you know, mm-hmm. or why somebody who is pro-life would also be, you know, more freedom of guns, Yeah, which sometimes might seem contradictory, but you can find a, a commonality of thought yeah. in a lot of those views. You, if, but it doesn't have to be that way, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like both sides are a weird spider web that, like, if you just look at one point and then you turn around and you look at a different point that's still on the web, they might not even look the same, but if you follow the lines that bring you to each one, you'll you'll be like, okay, I see how you got here. Well, and a lot of the socio-political climate is reactionary. What does Obama think? What does Trump think? You know, and then that's like if Obama was in office saying something, mm-hmm. then you go into an alternate universe and Trump's there saying the exact same thing. How the Democrats and Republicans would respond to that would be wildly different, yeah. even though in both of these parallel universes, it's Trump or Obama, and they're saying the exact same thing, yeah. right? And you can even find instances in recent history where yeah. somebody has said something on one side of the fence, and then the other person said the exact same thing a couple of years later on the other side of the political fence, and the reactions from the left and right. Yeah, right. It's, you know, it's <laughs> like, well, Obama was trying to close the border. Before he got out of office, right, and everyone was okay with it, but now suddenly you're not. Well, I think you have to take every moment in time, like as a uh, <coughs> millennial, <laughs> I uh, I find myself on the internet being told that I don't know a lot of things. Sure, and so I like to look at it when. Like, when Obama got elected the first time, I couldn't even vote. Right. And it was like, well, the millennial snowflakes put Obama in office. It's like, well, a, a, lot of us, <laughs> a lot of us may not have even been able to. Right. Right. <laughs> the second time, yeah, because I agreed with him. Right. 
Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I don't. I believe that generally speaking, people are going to lean more to the left than to the right for various reasons. Yeah. And I think that there's a reason why these views are, are clumped together. But at the same time, just the general like you know social issues that people argue about. There's no reason why if I lean towards the left that I have to just blindly accept everything that, that the yeah. pop culture left tells me is mm -hmm. true, right? Yeah. And I you know, and there's no reason why I can't think critically about individual instances where the pop culture left or the pop culture right, because I lean more to the left myself. Yeah. Right? And so but I used to lean way to the right. You know? <laughs> hey. And I, I <laughs> And part of the reason I lean so far where I do now is because I was critically analyzing every aspect of my camp, right? Yeah. And I still and I do the same thing on the side of the fence that I'm on now. It, it's not that, you know, some people they like they are they're discontent with their their political or religious or ideological camp that they're in. Yeah, and they rebel against it. You know, a lot of times it's you know youth rebelling against the ideology of their parents. Uh, however, you know whatever that is, and then they're like, "I'm a critical thinker now, and I'm jumping ship, and I go to the other side." And then they turn their critical thinking off. Yeah. Right. Well, why? You know, it's not like everything that you're going to hear from quote unquote their side is going to be 100% gospel truth. Yeah. Like it's 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 important to keep that critical thinking going. Right. One one line. From a video game is probably what triggered my skepticism more than anything and I don't even know if they even used it anymore but it was from Assassin's Creed it is nothing is true everything is permitted and I look <laughs> I look at I look at the government yeah. and the world around me and I'm like that's true right because <laughs> everyone's just doing whatever they want and right. lying to get to what they need to get right. to and so I just not that I don't trust people in general. I think at the core, most people are good. I think most people find themselves... Not that I'm some like, oh, I never follow in, fall into like a line or anything, but I think most people find themselves trotting down a line towards the cliff, hmm. like lemmings, because they're like... Well, the line, the other line looks like it's going to take something away from me. So this line is here to help. Like this sure. line's going to save me. It's going to make everything okay. This is going to give me the life that I've always wanted. Sure. If I walk down this line, I'll be fine. When, if I'm being honest, both lines, if we're just talking like blindly following either side, right. both are walking off the same cliff. They're just in parallel to each other, <laughs> looking at each other so they don't see the cliff at the end. Right. Well, you know, and, and some people choose their political leanings based on their own personal circumstances mm. and have a hard time seeing outside of their own context, their own bubble. And so they make choices. You know, when this law was passed, my business took a hit. Maybe it did. Maybe it did. I don't know. I'm not a political expert. But maybe that choice that was made in Washington while it hurt you, maybe it had a larger impact on a greater number of people that were for positive. Again, you know, again, yeah. like, he'll never know or she'll never know because that person never looks beyond their own experience, their own circumstance. 
they'll just say, I'm not voting for X person because I lost this amount of money because of the decision that X person made, therefore I'm going for Y. Right? Yeah. And and I understand that. I'm not saying like that's wrong or that's bad. Yeah. I'm not, I get it. Yeah. But it's it also helps to kind of look beyond our own circumstances, beyond our own biases, beyond our own prejudices and our own our own point of view to help see things through the, through another another lens. Yeah. Right. And that's you know, and you think about edu- the education system, going back to the education system, and this kind of cookie cutter, not that they necessarily want you to believe the same things, yeah. but they are trying to educate you the same way. Mm-hmm. And then I look at Raphael's painting of Plato's Academy, and I'm like, that's education. Because yeah. not everybody learns the same way. And not everybody has the same brain, right? And then you've got these these ideologies that at times people want to force upon you. And then I think about the floating academy. And I think about like Marie Curie, her sister being able to go to this place. You know, this is where all this conversation, this tangent started from, yeah. was the, the flying academy or the floating yeah. academy. And I think about this place that kind of goes against the grain, this 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 rebel this rebel alliance yeah. of a school that isn't teaching the status quo that's allowing women to learn, right? And, it, and to me, the floating university kind of is a, is a microcosm of Marie Curie's education and work and life because she continued to find ways to continue her studies, to further her education, to continue her research in the face of adversity, did her being a woman in the face of obstacles that got in the way, in the face of people shutting doors and saying no, like she found a way. Yeah. And that's Just like life. Yeah, life finds a way. <laughs> you know, and I can imagine um, Jeff Goldblum narrating her life now. <laughs> and I, I wish that would happen. Oh, so speaking of Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> <laughs> so I got that promotion at the credit union, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to have my own cubicle. And one of the things I want to do, obviously when you have your own space, your own office, your own cubicle like I'm going to have, is you want to decorate it, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get a small frame and put a picture of Jeff Goldblum in there. Are you doing the, the shirtless Malcolm <laughs> on, the, <laughs> no, on not, the table? <laughs> no, as much as I'd love to. I want it to be less, I want to be more subtle. Because okay. I don't want it to be a big thing. I just want to kind of put it somewhere on my desk, <laughs> you know, next to like a maybe picture of Ashland or a picture of a cat that I don't own. <laughs> but it just, just somewhere in the mix of all my regular stuff that people use to decorate their office. I just want to have this, this small picture of a frame picture of Jeff Goldblum on my desk just to see if anybody notices. There's <laughs> no context like Jeff Goldblum. So yeah, that's, he's that's my uncle. Yeah, you know. <laughs> like if people ask, well, what's Jeff Goldblum? And just kind of play it off like, well. I like jazz. He plays jazz. It's, you know, it's Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Like, I need another reason. Anyway, that's, I got big plans for my promotion. Ooh. Cubicle plans. Yeah. Episode five, Bud got fired. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, going back to Marie Curie, notes, things that that I find noteworthy. Uh, Her notebook. You can go look at it, but you've got to put on a suit. Right? (laughs) It's radioactive. She's buried in a lead-lined coffin, which means Superman can't look at her. Right? Speaking of superheroes. Uh Right? We already said she coined the term radioactivity. Therefore, she's partial credit for creating Spider-Man. 
She discovered the element polonium, named after her you know, motherland of Poland, and radium, uh, named after you know, Ray. You know? Is uh, radioactive? <laughs> radium. Like a, like a ray of light or whatever. You know. First woman to win a Nobel. Uh, she was the first person ever to win it twice. She won it for physics and for chemistry. <clears throat> she died from aplastic anemia, likely due to her exposure to radiation. When her husband died, now her husband Pierre died, he was struck by a horse-drawn carriage, and he fell under the wheels, wheels of the carriage, leading to a fractured skull. So that is uh, Pierre died in like one of the most like metal ways ever, yeah. right? Like being crushed under a, a horse-drawn carriage. Like the only and the only reason this comes to my head is because I just watched it on Netflix. The only more metal way that right now I can think of. Is in dying from radioactivity. <laughs> was being put in a lead lined coffin because yeah. your corpse is too dangerous. <laughs> you're 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 so metal they had to bury you in metal. Right, right. Well, so like the the Curies are metal yeah, AF, yeah. right? But as far as physical deaths, would be the uh, now I'm going to blank on which one it is. I'm pretty sure it's it's not it's Raiders. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. When Indiana Jones is fighting the Nazi in front of the propeller, oh and he yeah, like ducks down. <laughs> yeah, and the propeller gets him. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like smiling, throws his coat over his head. And I was like, oh man, yeah, it's that's, a pretty, that's, that's a pretty brutal. Yeah. <laughs> so when when Pierre died, Marie took over his job of teaching, uh, which made her the first woman professor at the University of Paris. So, you know, her husband was instrumental in a number of ways of helping her, uh, you know, not to take any any credit away from Marie, yeah. but they were, a, they were a team. Yeah, you know, very they, much they, so. they did a lot together uh, in terms of their research and their discoveries, and uh, he was, Pierre was 100% an advocate for his wife and uh, very much a, a driving force in you know, being on her side and yeah. making sure that she got the recognition that she deserved. And, you know, obviously, Pierre, I guess you could say Pierre helped her get the job since uh, <laughs> he left the vacancy. But, you know, she had the determination to pursue that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so she had this mentality, this mindset that, you know, his her husband died. She's a widow. And she's going to walk into that university and take his job and start teaching, which nowadays would be more, much more common yeah. to have a woman teach and a woman be a professor. Not, not uncommon, but she was the first. Yeah. You know? She just walks into the University of Paris like, yeah. Yeah. And you got to understand, like, the, the, the respect she must have commanded, even in the face of all the disdain and the criticism she must have received for being a woman, the fact that she could get that job that she could just pick up where her dead husband left off and be the first professor at that university. Now, again, I'm not not taking away from anything that she did, but do you ever think that maybe, like, as her life went on, she was so radioactive that she was like, well, you guys can not respect me, but then I'm going to put my hand on your head. <laughs> there's going to be so much radiation well, in now, your brain. Now she's like an X-Men villain, villain or something? Like, <laughs> she had to be buried in a lead-lined coffin because she was yeah. so... Her body I'm going to guess that they didn't realize 
They didn't realize how dangerous it was. Oh no, she had. They had no idea, which is why. Oh, yeah. So I, they turn off the lights, and she's glowing <laughs> like, <laughs> which like you will fear me and give me this job at the university. Okay, Marie, fine. To Just, bring this to almost like a personal level, <laughs> with <coughs> my fiance Catherine and I went up north to a mine, and like radium. I'm pretty sure it was radium. Or was it? Or am I thinking radon? No, because it was radioactive. Maybe radon's radioactive. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But there was a radioactive metal that they used to paint on things. Okay. To make like glow in the dark, sure. like uh, clocks, like when anal- uh, you know clocks needed the glow in the dark right. before. You know, we had just LEDs. Right. Uh, before lights, like people would like brush their teeth with the stuff yeah. because no one knew. Right. Everyone's like, "Oh, this stuff's great." Right. It's peeling the paint off the wall that I'm trying to get rid of. <laughs> Everything's great. Right. I'm going to brush my teeth. It'll get the plaque off. Everything's good. Right. And, you know, draws start getting holes in them and people start dying. And they're like, right. what could have done it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, sometimes scientific discoveries come at personal cost. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so Marie being our wizard, I think the, the life lesson, the wisdom that we get from her life is... You know, her whole life is finding ways to achieve her goals, to live her dream, to do what she wants and what she feels is her passion and her calling in her life. And the life lesson obviously then becomes don't let those obstacles stop you from doing what you want. You know, and we're talking a, a, a much different time than we have today, yeah. right? And if, if you've listened to any, you know, Gary V. You know, he'll tell you that like this is the best time to be alive, right? Yeah. So if Marie Curie could overcome these obstacles and do what she did and, and be known today as, as the co-creator of Spider-Man um, <laughs> and all the other things that she did, then certainly we with our with our with our phones and our internet and our you know all the opportunities that we have to do the things we want to do, it's not easy. Yeah. You know, like I work full time at the credit union. I basically work full time running my own karate school, and I want to do things like like record podcasts yeah. and, and you know sometimes have fun playing Smash Brothers. Like you know, um, no one says it's easy, but this is a great time to be alive. Yeah. Generally speaking, for the human all, race. Yeah, all thing all things considered, though, it seems like we're you know slowly spinning towards you know the end. Every time you turn on the news. One thing or another is leading to oh, the sure. extinction of the human race, sure. but at least we're we're doing all right right now. Like right. everything's great now. Well, and there's and there's definitely real issues that we have to contend with. Yeah. Again, nothing is easy, but it's we have more opportunity now than we've ever had as a as a collective human race, just with our technology. Like, if you really want, there are people who make money just on Instagram. Yeah. You know, I know two people just in this town who sell little figurines like for like Warhammer games or Dungeons Dragons. They paint them and they sell them. They like they buy them blank, they paint them and they flip them. They just sell them. And you know, I don't know how much money they make, but that's an opportunity, right? Yeah. People who just make who sell t-shirts. 2003, I had a t-shirt business. And my partner was my then wife's older sister's husband, right? She's no longer my wife. The older sister still has this guy as a husband. He had a um, master's degree in marketing. 
So I had this idea, I had these designs for shirts, and so then I was like, I underestimated myself. So we ended up partnering up, and he was gonna be the business guy, and I was the ideas guy. I built the website, I created the designs for the t-shirt, right? And this was, again, 2003, and the internet is still fairly young. Yeah. You know, in terms of what we know how to use, we, yeah. social media was still kind of like, what was that, you know? But we had websites, and we, we did shows, and I'm like, man, if, if there's always that part of me that wants to just make T-shirts now. Now, the T-shirt business didn't work, and there's a lot of internal reasons why it didn't work back then. Uh, that's just my, my diplomatic way of saying, like, it, you know, yeah. he screwed it up, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just keeping it real. Uh, we, we had different, we were vendors at different, like, music fests during the summer. Yeah. And of all the shirts that we had designed, or the, that we had, we had. I was originally the designer of these shirts, like, or at least I, uh, they were only my designs, but then he wanted some creative influence in them. The only shirts that ever really sold were the ones that were my untouched ideas, my designs on shirts. Those sold by far more than any of the other shirts, and some of the other shirts didn't sell at all. Just saying, right? Shots fired. Shot, yeah. Anyway, who cares? <laughs> like, I don't talk to this guy anymore. And deflected. <laughs> <laughs> So it doesn't really matter, you know. All I'm saying is, like, there's always this part of me that's like, man, you know, if I really want to, I could just start selling T-shirts. Like, go to, like, teespring.com. Or there's a yeah. number of, like, you have the logo, you send it to them, they put it on mugs and hats and whatever. Yeah. And, like, you get a, whatever works, you know. Yeah. Like, but you can do that. Like, it's so easy now. And everything that Marie Curie did in her day, she didn't have access to the Internet. She yeah. She was doing all this stuff just by the power of her mind and the power of her will. And so there's there's a quote from her that I, I want to, to close, off, close out our talk about her. Uh, her words, endlessly push back the limits of knowledge, uh, to track down the secrets of matter and life without any preconceived idea of the eventual consequences, to be among those just like Pasteur irresistibly irresistibly believe that science and peace will triumph over ignorance and war. So that, that to me is the wisdom that I take away from this particular real life wizard. Yeah. Now. That's an amazing quote. I got a question for you, Joe. Ooh. You know, we've talked about Marie Curie, uh, her obvious influence on Spider-Man. Obvious. Being buried in a lead coffin, which means Superman's x-ray vision can't see, he can't see her. You know, her own superpower being that she's just dangerous, right? Yeah. You know, like radioactive yeah. woman, right? They have a barrier body and lead. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? I know. I put you on the spot. I didn't, you didn't know I was going to ask you this. Okay. I don't know. And this, this is the thought conundrum that's always plagued my mind because I think in the long, like long-term it would hurt me is I'd probably just choose to be immortal. <laughs> okay. All right, like Vandal Savage kind of immortality. Yeah. Squee, the Goblin Nabob immortality. Yeah, like, so going kind of back to what she said, you know, before before I go off on a tangent, what about you? What what would be your super? Easy. Ever since, ever since I was a kid, I always wanted high-powered teleportation. Mm. Just to be able to go anywhere in the world that I want. Be able to get there instantly and be able to come back home. 
you know how many problems that would solve for me? <laughs> like, the thing that annoys me the most is just, like, we're here right now recording this podcast at the school. Mm-hmm. Once we pack up and I leave, i got to get in my car. It's going to be cold as balls. And i got to drive and hit stoplights and bad drivers and traffic. And it's just time. Travel time. Just to, for no other reason than the fact that I can't teleport. Yeah. You know? But if I could teleport, like, I could spend, a, I could spend an hour in Florida. I could go to Paris. I could visit people that I haven't seen in years. You know, and then like, I could do any. I could, you know, I could do this anywhere I want. I wouldn't have to be late for anything. I'm just bang. I'm there. Like, like oh look, it's uh, five o'clock. I need to be at a thing, and I'm there. And I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> like that to me. You know, like every time I've done a role playing game, that I had the ability to have a character where I could kind of pick my own power. He was either like a planeswalker, or he had some kind of high power teleportation. You know, yeah. Just to get from point A to point B, that because a lot of other powers have inherent problems to them. So, like the power of flight, like some people are like oh, I'd love to be able to fly. Really, with your frail little human body, you'd want to <laughs> propel yourself at speeds in the air, possibly colliding with someone or, or like like a, a bird or a building or a billboard or if you're really high up a plane, right? <clears throat> or you get so high up that the oxygen's too too light and you lose consciousness and you fall and die like I wouldn't want to have flight unless I could be like invulnerable same thing with super strength like super strength would be great but if I'm just as weak as anything then yeah, you know like you'd have to have super strength and invulnerability right so like some powers have to be like coupled together like super speed is a total joke of a power because <laughs> like imagine being the flash like the body can only go so fast before the body starts to like fall apart yeah. Right now, granted, maybe the Flash has some sort of invulnerability, which makes him go faster. He has the speed force. Sure, but like, and I don't. I'm not a master of uh, expert on the Flash. But what prevents him from getting bugs in his teeth like a motorcyclist who doesn't wear a helmet? And they're only going like 60, 70 miles an hour on their motorcycle. The, does he have like a force? Does the speed force prevent like, like? What? So you can't have super speed unless you have some sort of like shield. The way, because we're on a tangent. The way. I've, I've had it explained to me, and someone can tell me if I'm wrong, is that he compresses the air moving so quickly in front of him okay. that it anything light enough gets pushed out of the way off like a sonic boom type style. It comes to a point. Okay. And he's just traveling so fast that if there's like bugs, they get thrown around him instead of into oh, him. I see. Okay. That sounds like crap to me. Yeah, but I, I'm not I a mean... scientist. I'm just saying it sounds like crap. There's, there's a lot of... You know, obviously with, like, high-powered teleportation, you would have to have some sort of sense of, like, where I'm going, like a sight beyond sight or some sort of be able to, like, project so you can see your destination because mm-hmm. you don't want to teleport in the middle, you know, then you're in the middle of the road, get by a bus, you're dead. You know what I mean? So obviously this high-powered teleportation would have an accuracy and a, an ability to kind of aim myself to somewhere safe, right? Yeah. So there's even with my, my dream power... There's a little like built-in stuff, because if I could do that, that means I could kind of peer anywhere in the world, and be kind of like, um, uh, what's the, what's the Norse god, who can kind of see everywhere? Oh, um, Idris Elba played him in the. In yeah, the I was gonna say Idris. Uh, it starts with an H. Heimdall. Heimdall. Yeah. So basically, my power of teleportation, I'd have to be like a mini Heimdall, okay. right? Like. Which I wouldn't mind because that'd be a cool power, and Idris Elba is sexy, so like I'm down, you know. Um, just saying, 
But so yeah, so even with that power, you have to have something kind of. You, then most almost every superpower has to have some other superpower to kind of complement it. Otherwise, you're boned in, in a lot of instances, right? Yeah. So anyway, have you said what your power is? Yes. Okay. I, I would. I would just be <laughs> immortal. Like yeah. And not necessarily invulnerable. I guess like if I take if I take a bolt to the head, I'm dead. It's just as anybody. Sure. I, I guess. I mean, ideally, I would just be immortal. Like, you know, you cut my head off. As long as I can get it and put it back on, it'd be fine. <laughs> okay. Um, but right. That's so almost, how I would do almost it. like a Wolverine healing factor in a way. Ish, but I, you know, the adamantium doesn't poison me, and then I eventually die. Well, sure. Sort of well, you didn't mention adamantium. So. <laughs> I don't. So, I don't need it. So the yeah. reason I would pick that, um, and it kind of to me it goes along with uh, Marie Curie, is that I, even as a human being immortal on earth there even if i was immortal there are always going to be things i will never know right but i can increase the knowledge if i never die i can just imagine the things Uh, like what look up look up some at some point adam savage uh like immortal man i I can't remember what it's all exactly but he does kind of a almost like a, a skit where he kind of, you know, envisions himself as being immortal, or at yeah. least, I don't know if immortal, but perpetually living thousands yeah. of years. And because the one thing I'll have to look this up, because your your thought just reminded me of that. Uh, he gets to a point in this this episode, this show, yeah. where his brain is about to max out on memory. Yeah. Right. And so he's got to like some find some way to increase the memory of his hard drive. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't remember how he does it, but you know. It's something that, and, and that was, since that's your what you want, I, I, I recommend you type that in. Like Adam Savage, is just put in like immortal. I'm sure you'll find it in Google. Yeah. I'm gonna look it up on my phone right now. I've obviously there's a limit to what humans can know, and I don't have um, what is it an eidetic memory? I don't have right. like the perfect recall. However, never dying only ends badly for me. Like, right. like, imagine existing to the heat death of the universe and then past that. <laughs> right. Because I can't die. So, all the things I would learn, but ultimately be the only thing ever. Right. Okay, so it's called Can You Live Forever? Came out in October of 2011. What would it be like to be immortal? It's the year 2967, and Adam Savage is a thousand years old. <laughs> so I think, yeah, yeah, I think that'd be that'd be interesting for you to look up. And it's it's strange and serendipitous as we close out because um, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug a Netflix show while we're sitting here. Okay, um, I've already told you to watch it. Uh, Seven Deadly Sins. Okay, yeah, I haven't watched it yet. There's a mage because it's it's like a weird mix between old like British fantasy like King Arthur stuff right. with like. A, a different retelling of some of those stories. Sure. Um, but the mage Merlin is in it, but it's a woman. Huh? Uh, her name is Merlin, and her magical ability is infinite. So, but that wasn't like she would just live forever. It was that if she cast a spell, like if she coated you in ice, that that spell would never break, oh. even if she died, unless she broke it. Right. So she made herself immortal because 
she wanted to learn every magical spell possible. Right. So she was, and everyone's like, oh, the amount of magic it would take to make oneself immortal. She's like, well, I only had to cast the spell once. Right. I don't have to recast it because it's just there. There it is. And I was like, that's genius. (laughs) Awesome. And it's like, you get that's to like the wishing knowledge. for more wishes trick. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, hmm, you get three wishes. Well, my first wish right. is to wish for as many wishes as I'm going to need. Right. <laughs> so, listeners, what would your ma- what would your magic power or superpower be? Let us know. Yes. Send us an email or comment on our Facebook page. Or the- send us a carrier pigeon. Um, our email is wizards and wisdom podcast at gmail.com. Our website is wizardsandwisdom.com. And on Facebook, if you type in Wizards and Wisdom, you should find us. Yeah, it's, I don't, you know, I've checked and no one else has ripped us off yet. Maybe it's just because we're not as popular as I like to believe we well, are. Well, this is only episode four. So yeah. what I've heard is that you're not a legit podcast until you get to episode 10. Okay. So we're almost halfway there. Yeah, there we go. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.